Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett, football journalist and United season ticket holder. A reminder, you can still subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc, etc. But you can now watch us. Hopefully there's some of you on YouTube who are now watching us. Um, a mountain of subscribers after our first show, Rob. Uh, we're, we're out twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. This is uh, show two on YouTube. So you can head over to that channel. Um, we'll be sharing it on our socials, no doubt. Uh, head over to the channel, hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, drop a comment, and the link should be in the description of this episode as well if you're listening on audio. Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Scott. How are you, mate? Uh, well... <laughs> another another week of being let down in a sense by United. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the Burnley game maybe a little bit. I mean, we're we're between two games at the moment. Obviously, Burnley was in midweek and Southampton is early on Saturday, uh, so we're not far out from that game now. Um, we'll talk about that. But just another reminder: you can follow us on Twitter, find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise Land MU. Rob, let's should we talk about Burnley? I think we should, shouldn't we? Yeah, let's touch on it. Was it? Um, it was weird again because I think there was one goal that was ruled out well United had two goals ruled out one probably was correct for the offside but I think the the own goal which was not given which Ralph Ranick was completely up in arms about he just didn't understand it at all I was was kind of thinking really? but then United did well in the first half but I think they didn't react to Burnley up in the tempo in the second half yeah and I also think it the game itself is a real good barometer of where Manchester United are as a team. So, you know, we've got to remember, we're still very early in this manager's lifespan, but we're getting towards the end of the season already and we need to see performances, we need to see victories. But you can you can tell with how Man United are. That, that first half, things were clicking. And in the second half, when Burnley just turned the screw a little bit and did some different things, that United struggled. Now, I think that's the storybook of Manchester United this season. You know, they have these big periods of of domination where you think they could go and score two, three, four, five goals. And really, the first half was exactly like that. But then when the challenge becomes tougher, they start to wilt a little bit. So, you know, in that last 20 minutes for me, United were never going to score a second goal. Not at all. Not got nowhere close to it. Why is that? Because all the good things they did in the first half with the pressing and the counter-pressing and kind of getting the ball quickly and moving it quickly vanished. Like it's just like stopped, like hit a brick wall. So I think that's where it's tough for Ralph because I don't think a coach can impact those things too too much when their team just gets very tired. And United, you can see in the last 15, 20 minutes, just got very tired. The other thing is, is that when you start Cavani, you don't have energy coming off the bench. So Cavani always looks less of a player when he starts from the beginning and has to be substituted. And Cristiano is not a very good substitute. So I remember when Cristiano came on against Everton at home and he came on for 20 minutes and just basically stood in the centre circle and the game ended. So I think that there's that, that, there's that balancing point for Man United now in the next few games is that you're always going to get that. Like Southampton coming up, they're that kind of team that play an energy game. They'll match you. As I called it on one of my other podcasts, it's the Red Bull Derby. Hassan Hootel yeah, versus, versus yeah. Ranjik. Two guys. Ralph versus Ralph. <laughs> the, 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 uh, not, I wouldn't call them the innovators of 4-2-2-2, but that system is the Red Bull system. And of course, those two guys are both from the Red Bull setup. And I think you might see a little bit of 
I don't know, chess playing in this game because they'll have respect for each other. And maybe, you know, counter-pressing, it, it won't be a big counter-pressing showdown. It will be more of a case of position versus position. And then you might get a stalemate out of it. Or you might get James Ward-Prowse deciding the day with a set piece. Yeah, there's a bit of debate. Uh, I'm going off topic here about James Ward-Prowse, but uh, there was a little bit of debate around him after his contribution against Spurs and whether he'd be the right is he a right fit for like an England squad or something like that? His, his set piece delivery, his crossing, his free kicks are just so pinpoint so often that he's always such a threat. And he's done it against United before as well. Yeah, this is, we, I talk a lot about sexiness in football. And what I mean by that, you get names of people who do stuff and it's really sexy football. And then you get someone else who does exactly the same thing and people don't like it or they're not into it. James Ward-Prowse is the best deliverer, deliverer of a ball in Europe for what he does. So, you know, I'd have James Ward-Prowse at Man United. Absolutely. I think, you know, when you look at his uh, metrics, he's, he's one of the most hardest working central midfielders in the whole of the Premier League. Mm. But that doesn't get really highlighted, does it? Because he's not a sexy name. Um, yeah, he's a shoo for the England squad for me. And I think he fits the other pieces that they have, likes of maybe someone like Declan Rice. We'll get on to Declan Rice later in the show. I do. I, I will uh, update you now on what we're going to talk about today. We'll do a little bit more on Burnley in a second. There's probably a conversation again to have about Harry Maguire, um, given all of the stick he gets after every single game he ever plays for England, for Man United, or for England, actually does get praise. But um, we'll talk about uh, a report that's come out on Friday morning about players being frustrated with Ralph Rangnick's methods and some not-so-nice terms um, which have emerged. Uh believe what you want but uh, we'll, we'll address them anyway because they are in the news uh, we'll address some Declan Rice talk um, he's done an interview with Gary Neville on the famous overlap where it's the same show that Harry Kane basically valued himself at 100 million a few months ago uh, and tried to force away force a move away from Tottenham not so sure this one was the same but uh, there was some career chat from Declan Rice and we'll round off as well with maybe a bit more chat about Southampton not too much but Cristiano Ronaldo Jr. signs for Man United. We'll talk about that as well. So Burnley, what was it for you, Rob? Um, was it a case of was it a case of tiredness? Because ultimately, this is their bottom of the league. I know they've got uh, games in hand on other teams, but United have to win this, don't they? And they didn't. You've got to win it, you know. And and this is the I think the fine balance between agenda and stuff that you actually see. So the agenda is Manchester United have to win every game. That's the world we live in. That's what the football club is about. And that's the kind of standard that you have to push week in, week out. And we know that's been an issue at Man United over many years since Fergie left. So that's one point. The other point is, is that as Ralph, you know, tinkers with tactics, brings back Paul Pogba, looks at other players within the squad. You know, we've, we've talked uh, recent weeks about players like Hannibal. You know, what can you get in terms of chemistry now in the next few weeks? That process is always ongoing. So the overall performance against Burnley was not bad. It's just, as you said there, you're playing the team at the bottom of the league. You have to go and win. So this is where I think you, you have to have a balancing point. Of course, Man United fans are not going to look at balancing points. They are going to look at the scoreline. And if you win that game 1-0, let's say, for instance, one of those um, goals that, that quite possibly could have been a goal was given um, so in your 2-1 and you win the football match and you go back in time to Middlesbrough, Cristiano scores his penalty, you win that game. You're then talking about two games there, two victories. And this is a completely different conversation. So 
overall, I'm, I'm kind of happy with what I'm still seeing. You know, I'm still seeing stuff that I think is really positive and that is building. But the problem is, is this manager is not going to be with us next year. That's, this is the truth. So, you know, how long are the players supposed to invest in his style of football? And United expect that they're going to win games to become fourth place because that's the trophy they are playing for now in the Premier League. They have to get fourth place. So I think Burnley, you scratch it off, but there's there's other tougher times to come, Scott, because you know there's better teams than Burnley. Yeah. And I actually I actually think that United play better against better teams. I think teams that will play higher up the pitch and will trigger United's counter press, that plays into United's hands. So you play more freewheeling team that got, want to attack you, then you can hurt them. Whereas Burnley are not going to do that. Burnley will sit in a bit more of a low block. They'll go a little bit longer and they'll play the margins. And that's where their goal came from. Like, you know, it's a two or three mistakes in the middle of the park. Jay Rodriguez, who can't hit a barn door most weeks, <laughs> in the front of David De Gea, slots it away. And you think, oh, so disappointing because of the result. And, and, you know, every United fan should feel a bit gutted about the result. But at the same time, the games come so thick and fast that they can cancel each other out if good performances suddenly just magically appear. Yeah, Burnley were doing that thing towards the end where they just there was a noticeable change where they just camped in their own box. Even Dice United would, yeah, it was, and United United were trying to put crosses in. They mixed it up. They put high ones in. They put drilled yeah. ones in. They put low ones in. Everything mm. was cleared. And Manchester United exactly fifty-two opportunities, goal-scoring yeah. opportunities in two games. Fifty-two. Like this is like at least they're making chances. That that <laughs> metric is not a thing. It doesn't happen in football. Really, doesn't generally. You have fifty-two chances, and in that game, you know, you 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 lost to Middlesbrough, and then you blew it against Burnley, and two teams that you would expect to to beat. And you could have beaten both those teams five nil and five nil, and people would have gone, oh, what great performances they were. So you know, goals pay the bills, and with Ralph, he's got to get. His senior players scoring. This is the people I blame, Scott. You know, like I, I think that you can look at individual players, and we'll talk about Harry Maguire in a minute because I think it's it's pertinent. But mm. your your top players and your 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 biggest paid stars and your forwards have to go and win your games. One thing I will add: I thought Jaden Sancho was very good. You know, Jaden Sancho, creative, looking busy, looking like he. Yeah. threatening, dribbling the ball, doubling up nicely when he was on both sides of the pitch, obviously building a little bit of re- uh, kind of rapport with Luke Shaw now. But then on the other side of the pitch, Marcus Rashford was really disappointing. So yeah, I think for, for Ralph, that's the bit trying to get that chemistry where everyone is playing well together. And if you do that, you're going to win games. Cavani's not the answer from the start, but Cavani is part of the answer for the weeks ahead, because I think you still need him as an impact sub. I said that 12 months ago. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. We'll talk about Ralph and your kind of thoughts on what's emerged this morning uh, shortly. But yeah, you did mention there Harry Maguire and you talked about Jay Rodriguez and and this kind of thing. Was Harry Maguire at fault for the goal? He's copping a lot of uh, criticism as per usual for the way he defended that, but is, is it necessarily his fault? Should it always be on? It, Cause he does, he does seem to lose a lot of like individual battles against players that you wouldn't really expect him to lose to who aren't exactly massively quick. Cause obviously Maguire isn't that fast. So you'd expect a quick player to kind of get the better of him at times, but mm-hmm. these players aren't necessarily always that quick and they're still running rings around him in a sense. What, what's, yeah, look- what's up with Harry Maguire? 
Look, I think for the Burnley goal, there's there were several factors at play why that goal happened, and and it starts in the midfield. But I don't think it's worth talking about the midfield because that in itself is a different conversation. And in that moment, the midfield trying to do its job but didn't quite do it. Harry Maguire is the last line of defence, and your captain, so you need something from him in that moment. The issue with Harry is that he's slow. So again, no point doing a podcast about whether Harry Maguire is quick or not. We know that he's slow. <laughs> But it's a for me with Maguire, it's all about decision making. So in that first half against Burnley, and in you know I think the previous game, you can see that he's kind of got his faculties back, the stuff that he was missing maybe in previous months. So he's making better decisions, moving the ball out from the back, just keeping the tempo up, moving over the halfway line. But he's still making these kind of mad decisions that are costing you goals. So in that moment there with Jay Rodriguez, he gets done the wrong side. And then, of course, he either has to bring the player down or Rodriguez scores. Really, he probably should have brought the player down like in that moment. This is where captain has to make a a decision and maybe sacrifice himself. So he would have then got a lot of stick for being sent off for bringing someone down in the box like that. But at the same time, this is not about Harry Maguire. This is about Manchester United. You've got to do what you've got to do. So I think with Maguire, it's his overall psychology, the, the makeup here, that's that's become a problem because if he doesn't make good decisions, Scott, he will get done. So I think moving forward, you've seen with Varane now, Varane is starting to settle in. Varane's an elite operator, both mentally and physically, and his game is a balanced game. And you can see now that he's fit, that he's getting there, that he's getting back to what you expect. Champions League Varane has arrived. But unfortunately, Championship Maguire is next to him. So this is an issue for United moving forward. And I do think you're going to get to the point now with a new manager where a new manager will say, I just want more pace at the back. So it doesn't matter how good Harry Maguire is, what he does for England, gets to Euros finals. I don't think he's a bad player. I'm really not saying that Harry Maguire is completely useless like the Twitterverse is saying. But I do think that Harry Maguire can be a liability unless he's at 100% up here. You know, and for people that are, what, just listening to us and not watching on YouTube, I'm pointing to my brain, to my temple, because that's what you feel with Harry Maguire. It's when he makes bad decisions that Manchester United always can see goals. It's very rare, isn't it, that like Maguire makes a bad decision and he gets away with it? It's generally because it's such a bad decision that he can't recover. So, you know, Jay Rodriguez scoring, I just kind of sat there and went, Ugh. Luke Shaw was a little bit full. I think he was, you know, he wasn't too, he wasn't narrow enough. He was too wide. Um, uh, I think Pogba and uh, McTominay had just left way too much space between them in the midfield, so that was exploited. And tactically, that's an issue. And, and Ralph can go and fix those tactics, but you can't fix someone being slow. And it's really hard to fix them thinking correctly you know that's where that's up to the individual so I think it's a it's a it's a tough run for Maguire next six months are really important for him uh in terms of his Manchester United future because I don't think it's solidified you know 80 million pounds you know would I sell Harry Maguire tomorrow for say 30 or 40 to go and trigger a deal for you know maybe an up-and-coming centre-back you know early 20s or even maybe someone on the on the open market who would command a big wage, someone like a Rudiger, where you could go in and, and get them and there'd be an instant fix and you're also getting a transfer feedback for an England international. Uh, I think those are very attractive propositions as it stands. What do you think it is, Rob? You mentioned uh, the brain. Uh, I pointed to my brain as well there uh, for those listening. But obviously they gave him the captaincy very, very early on. Um, 
because it was needed essentially like they, they needed to do something about it but he's come in with a massive price tag of 80 million quid he's been given the captain's armband straight away and he's not it does seem like the flaw in his game apart from being slow is the way that he's making decisions as you've just said so have United put themselves in a difficult position here? Do they have to continue with him for the rest of the season as Rafael Varane's first partner? Or is it if they go and drop him for, say, Victor Lindelof or something like that for a consistent run of games? What does that say? Are they bringing more pressure on themselves because they've dropped the captain? Can they take the captaincy off him? Or does that have to wait until the end of the season? I don't think they'll take the captaincy off him because I think, again, that's a very knee-jerk, reactive thing to do um, in, in the immediacy. I do think that when everyone is fit, there's every chance that Lindelof and Varane will be a better fit for Manchester United and what they're trying to do uh, in terms of moving out from the back. Now, look, Lindelof's not exactly fast, so there is that issue there. You know, if you were just looking for pure pace, you would probably have a Bailly-like figure or you'd bring back a two and Zabi or someone like that to, to fulfil that function. But it's horses for courses. So I, I just think it's more about what they're doing in training. I think if Maguire isn't giving you the consistency, and as I said, first half against Burnley, very consistent, looked very solid, you know, two players together, worked well, and it didn't look like Burnley were going to get a sniff in this game. And that's always when, you know, the hope kills you, doesn't it? But mm. I think with Harry Maguire, it's more about his long-term aspect now at the football club. I think that it was fine giving him the captaincy. You know, he's a guy who's got captaincy experience. Manchester United were lacking leaders. When he came to the football club, he was bought to be a leader. That was what he was bought to do. It's just that I think at a club like Man United, the leadership job is, is different to Leicester. You know, it's a mm. different kind of world. You know, you're, you're going from normality into Disney World. And if you can't keep Mickey Mouse happy, you're in trouble. So I think that's the whole, always the way with Harry Maguire is that he doesn't really exude anything. He's not a, a character. He's not a shouter. He's not a screamer. I saw yesterday in Liverpool when right at the end of the game, Van Dyke had to make a big tackle just in the 92nd minute and the ball went out. And he turned around and he went absolutely ballistic at his defenders ballistic now he's not a shouter and a screamer but in that moment he's giving his team and the fans something you know outwardly some energy you know we've got to defend this because we don't want to see the goal Harry Maguire doesn't do that you know Harry Maguire misses a header and kind of goes oh and that's a problem because those things do matter even though in the wide scheme of the ball going in the net there's lots more other things that are part of that point yeah let's uh let's move on because Maguire is obviously one of the key players that Ralph Reinick has had, uh, you know, has taken charge of over the last few months. Um, but there has been reports today, like, these are obviously just reports that have come out, but we're going to address them anyway, because they're probably going to be flying everywhere by the time this podcast actually comes out. Um, and in the lead up to the Southampton game, but there's a report uh, that the players, these damn players are frustrated with uh, Ralph's methods and have branded them old fashioned in training. There's uh, talk that, Ranick's actually left his training sessions to Chris Armas, who has been dubbed Ted Lasso. Good show, actually. I don't know if you've seen it, Rob, but it's 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 quite a fun show. But what do you what do you make of this stuff? I mean, we see a lot of the time that it's all on the players nowadays. These bun this bunch of players are just you know precious, you know, entitled, this kind of stuff, and it is probably the players' fault for. The United playing, <laughs> we've got a picture of Ted Lasso popping up <laughs> on the screen that's just popped me, thanks Harry um, <laughs> but yeah, like it does seem like it's always the players fault, they've cycled through different managers and 
I'm just sick of these reports, aren't you? I just think that, you know, we know with Manchester United that it's a bit of a pantomime. You know, I just used a kind of Disney analogy, didn't I? And and I used that because of Ed Woodward talking about us being the Disneyland of football. But these reports, you know, I, I don't give them any real credibility and I don't really care what players think. You know, go out and do your job. You know, I'm not interested whether you like the training or not. You know, buy in and do the job. Now, if you don't buy in and you lose games, what happens? The manager is done and gone. So I'm not seeing a Man United on a football pitch where I'm seeing a ton of disaffected footballers. That's not true. If they weren't enjoying the training or weren't on Ralph's side, we would be seeing that. Because I think that's what happened with Ole at the end of the day. That when Cristiano came to the football club, the kind of rejigging of that midfield and into the attack... The three two the four two three one that had worked successfully last season coming second, not particularly inspiring, but you got there, didn't work. It just completely collapsed. Now you're seeing a different system, a four two 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 that's kind of flips into a four three three and matches. Stylistically, it fits the players you've got, but it's the players who've got to do it. Fifty two chances in two matches. Please go and score at least a couple of goals to win them. So I think that's that's the hump that they've got to get over. I, I think the story itself, you know, the Ted Lasso thing is is funny. Um, it's a tabloid writer who thought this this goes well, doesn't it? Because that coach is American, and this is oh look look we've got this. Let's let's put this out. This is going to really pop on social media. That's how that works. Um, that's just what it is. I don't think that the Man United players are overly concerned about those those matters they might be looking forward to another coach you know lots of talk about Pochettino this week Ten Hag well that's, that's who the players want apparently Pochettino well, what, is the players you, choice Should yeah the so, players so, get what they want so the, 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 we'll address that you know so they talk about Pochettino being the players choice I think that's complete garbage I don't think the players are, are, are professing any of that at the moment certainly if not when we talk to Manchester United and the players that we we have contacts with and I think that, you know, they might like Pochettino, some of the English-based players, because of what he did at Tottenham. But I don't think that he's this kind of overarching figure that they're all, like, begging for Pochettino. What we do know is the Man United board want Pochettino and have done for forever. You know, this is like a rhetorical question going around in circles now with, do United want Pochettino? So I think that's where you've got to remember a lot of the sourcing for from the tabloids who report these things. They are highly connected with Manchester United's PR team. So a lot of that stuff goes around in circles because the conversations are there between them and the Pochettino angle is being pushed. And I, I'm not surprised about that. You know, I do think that, as I said in our last show, that Pochettino will probably leave PSG at the end of the season due to PSG not being particularly enamoured by him wanting to talk to Manchester United in the last round when obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was sacked. So that's a thing. That's real. Um, so there, therefore, those kind of two bodies can meet. And you think that Pochettino did want a job in England, that Manchester United fits that. He does have ambitions to come to Old Trafford and, and he would be the favourite. Saying that, Ten Hag now is also being talked up more because it does look like that he might be on his way out of Ajax. So you've got two elite managers that you could go for. I'm still sticking with Ralph. I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig my heels in on this. Do you Ralph. think, like, actually, let me ask you a question. Do you mm. think that will happen or is this just your choice? My choice is Ralph. What I think will happen is Pochettino. So, you, you know, that's that's really where the chips are landing. You know, you're looking at it and that's the that's the easiest call to make as it stands now. But it is just a call. It's a percentage call, Scott. Do you know what I mean? And we know that Pochettino 
his connections in England. He wants to come back. That's not that's not new. And he's got a limited scope to come back to England, hasn't he? When you look at the football clubs that would be available. So Manchester United would be available in the summer. It's a super huge club. Pochettino is an elite coach, whether people like him or not. Is he absolutely the correct fit for what you're trying to do? As I've said previously, not 100% sure. And I don't think, you know, the, the players are sat there going, oh, bring us Poch and this is going to all be magically fixed. I think there's a lot more things Manchester United need to do to fix this project. Maybe in the next few weeks, it does seem like we speak about Poch on every podcast, yeah. uh, Ten Hag on every podcast, Diego Simeone, Luis Enrique's come back up. Like it, it was, it was presented yesterday. Oh, Luis Enrique has been added to the shortlist. I mean, I saw that a month ago. And Diego Simeone, like you know, Diego Simeone is not being talked about at the moment. But as I said, when we get round to the Champions League, we're not far away from it. If Atletico give Manchester United a bit of a spanking and kick them out of the Champions League, then Diego Simeone's future, Atletico Madrid, is at risk at the moment. So he's another elite coach. Like people forget he won coach of the decade. So, you know, this is the thing with, with Simeone. He has got the opportunity to come to England and, and with a club at Manchester United who would match his wage at Atletico, then there is absolutely every chance that he's in, he's in the ring, 100%. We could do an episode, Rob, I'm just thinking on the fly here, about the managerial candidates. We will. We've got we plenty will. of time. I'm sure we will. Two episodes We've got some week. time. <laughs> we have some time indeed. Tuesdays and Fridays, you can listen or watch us, um, whichever whichever you choose. Uh, we are welcoming you in. Let's talk about uh, Declan Rice. A uh, couple, of, couple of sections left before we wrap up today, but let's talk about Declan Rice. Now, obviously, there's interest from Man United, um, and there has been for some time. It does seem that, you know, he does want to move at some point. I think from from what I've learned, he is looking to move this summer. Um, United are interested in him. Manchester City have been interested in him. Chelsea, who he was released by as a kid, interested in him as well. Thomas Tuchel likes him. Chelsea have obviously been happy with their central midfield options uh, for a long time, but it does they're probably going to need to buy one at some point. So... We'll see what happens with Declan Rice. Whether it happens this summer, I think he's contracted until 2024. So it might be that West Ham's position on him this summer is that they can command a big fee. But if it waits another year, it'll be one year left. I don't think he has an intention of signing a new contract. But he's done a, an interview with Gary Neville this week, which was released, and said an interesting line on, I don't want to have a career where I've not won nothing. Me as a football fan and also as a player, I want to win the best stuff. I want to win the Premier League. I want to lift that trophy. So that rules him out of Manchester United then, doesn't it, Rob? <laughs> no wow. move No move to Old Trafford. <laughs> um, one of the big selling points for Manchester United in recent years, and has always been, even back in the years like pre-Fergie and, and all of that, is that players get this idea that they can come and be part of a story and be a pivotal part of that story by refiring the football club. Man United have had that over the years, you know, all the way back to Brian Robson signing in, you know, the early 80s. So I think with Declan Rice is that if he fancies it, you know, this is why Paul Pogba came back to Man United. One of the things Paul Pogba said a lot in that first year was that I think I'm the guy who can get United to trophies again. And albeit in the first season, they won two, but haven't it hasn't materialised since. We know this. So I think with Declan Rice, it's really about what the player is up for. I think he will 100% leave West Ham in the summer. That's, again, 
what we kind of hear in whispers from his camp and from West Ham. West Ham are preparing a sale and they know that they're going to get a very big fee. It's going to be 80 to 100 million. Will he come to Manchester United? Well, it's a big question. Man United do need a central midfielder like Declan Rice. He would be welcomed with open arms like a saviour. I think if he signed for United, he'd be very, very popular with United fans. Do I think he's coming? No, I don't. Why? Because I think he wants to go to Chelsea. He's a Chelsea boy at heart. He's uh, Mason Mount's best mate. They talk every day. You know, they are besties. And I think that that element will be really important. The other important thing will be is if Chelsea really want to pay the money for a midfielder like Declan Rice, or are they happy with what they've got? Would Tuchel look at that or even say, let's say if Tuchel's not even at the club next year, like there's mm. always that aspect with Chelsea, the way they go through managers. Um, that is, that, is this the player that you want to build your midfield around or are you sticking with Kante? Are you trying something different? Are you going to get rid of Kante because he gets injured too much and you're going with Declan Rice? There, there's lots of variables here, Scott. I do think United are in the race, but it's only going to become a money fight. So if United pay 100 million, make him the highest paid player in the Premier League, there's every chance that he comes to Man United. But United need a marquee signing like that to fix things. But as I've always said, I think the most important need now is to bring in the squad players that, that just make your first 11 better. But it would start with Rice. If you can get Declan Rice, go for it. You know, you just you throw the, the house at it now. Whereas a year ago, I was saying the opposite. I was going, I'm not quite convinced I by Declan Rice. This conversation. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't convinced by him, but I've watched him, studied him. I've done all the, you know, all the stuff that journalists do and get into the metrics and do all of that stuff. And he's just he's just elite. And when you think about that, he's not playing in the Champions League. He's not of that ilk. I said this about Jack Grealish before. I was like, it's a big jump to go to Man City, even your hundred million pound player, you find it difficult. I don't think Declan Rice would. That's the difference. I think Jack Grealish is struggling in a natural way compared to his talent. Whereas I think Declan Rice is just skyrocketing and whichever club he lands at next, he's going to become a global superstar. It does strike me as really laid back as well. You know, if you've watched that interview with Neville, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but he very laid back, takes things in his stride. He mentions how his dad and his brother are representing him now and he's made that decision consciously with his family. I think his dad's a Chelsea season ticket holder. He used to go watch Chelsea. So it, I think a lot of it will depend on Chelsea and where he goes next. Yeah. But... City. He's a London boy. He's a London, He's a London boy. boy. And I think that, that's important. I think a good comparison is uh, when Luke Shaw came on the market when he was a kid at, at mm -hmm. Southampton. Luke Shaw is a Chelsea fan. Yeah. And Luke Shaw wanted to go to Chelsea. And Chelsea had a manager at the time called Jose Mourinho who said, I don't want this player. So he didn't go. He came to Man United. So th this is the thing about the setups of the football clubs that if, if whoever running, you know, the Chelsea board at the time, look at 80 to 100 million for a number six stroke number eight. Do you want to pay that? Is that something you want a defensive player to, to pay that kind of money for? I think with Chelsea, the answer might well be no, especially if you've still got issues at the top end of the pitch with Werner, with Havertz and obviously now with Lukaku. So there are other things at play here that might stop Declan Rice going to Chelsea. But if he doesn't go to Chelsea, then I think Man United are, are the next team. You know, I think Man United and Man City even are, are two teams that would be very, very interested in the services. Just a, just a question. You, you spoke just now about United could make him one of the highest paid players and pay 80 to 100 million for him. Given the experiences over the last few years of doing exactly that, is that the right way to go? I unfortunately think that at Manchester United, you cannot get away from the fact that if you're one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the richest clubs in the world, the most prestigious club in the world, 
then you're going to have to pay top dollar for some players. Now, that shouldn't be the case for every player. You know, you shouldn't be just looking at that ilk of 80 to 100 million all the time and above even, um, because it doesn't work like that. Manchester United have shown that the Galactico formula does not work at Old Trafford. So you have to have a balance. I want to see someone like Hannibal come through, but then I want to see you spend your money on Declan Rice. It's the balance there. You know, you've got to kind of have two players for every position. I think you've still got to go by that methodology, but you've got to have a strong core 11 that goes out every week and does the job. And Declan Rice will be part of that. If you want to do that, you've got to spend the money, Scott. Like Man United do spend money. It's just that recruitment has been completely duff for 10 years. So go and get those things right. When United went and bought Robin Van Persie, they did the right thing because it, it took a team that was going on the slide to become champions. So you make that one sign-in, you win the title. I don't think Declan Rice wins you the title, but Declan Rice gets you a lot closer to Manchester City and to Liverpool. Declan Rice will cost a lot of money, uh, but United might have saved themselves some money this week uh, with the, a new signing for the academy called Cristiano Ronaldo Jr. Um, you wanted to talk about this one today, Rob. Uh, it's been endorsed by Cristiano himself, Cristiano Sr. Uh, and he's been banging in the goals at youth level. I think he played for Juventus as well, didn't he? And he scored tons and tons of goals, if I remember rightly. But... Yeah, um, what do you make of it? Yeah, you could put him in the first team now, couldn't we? With the way <laughs> things are, um, you know, dad and son together—that would—that's uh, a marketing man's dream, isn't it, for Manchester United? Um, I, I think this marries back to something that, again, we talked about more at the start of the season with Cristiano himself, Cristiano Senior, and that is that from his camp and stuff that was coming through, obviously with intermediates is that Cristiano wants to stay at Manchester United long-term and in Manchester long-term. And for the reason for that being is that he's already looking towards the end of his career. So here he is now, 37. Um, he hasn't got long, has he? You know, he's still physically fit, but we are seeing that this is an elder statesman, a veteran, uh, and he's starting to struggle with some of the rigours of the Premier League. And he said, amazingly, that he wants to coach. So it's, it's you know, Wayne Rooney's done this as well, wants to coach. He's a a multi-millionaire worth 50 million quid in bank, but he still wants to coach at Derby. I think it shows that these are elite players, Lampard, Gerrard, Rooney, they're all going this route. And Cristiano has said that he would like to do that at Manchester United. Not necessarily as the manager, but to be based in England. That's something that he's professed uh, privately, something he'd like to do. And his son now plays for Manchester United and is contracted to the football club. So that's interesting in itself. That's why I kind of wanted to talk about it. Because I think the... That with Cristiano, we kind of think that is United just a short hop for him? Is he going to end up in the MLS next year or the year after? I'm not quite sure now. He's a family man. He wants to raise his kids here. That That's kind of the, the vibe we're getting from it. And I think now you've got this young guy who is a, he's got good pedigree stock in terms of his DNA. Um, is he going to be uh, uh, a Manchester United player? Could he and Kai Rooney be playing for Manchester United as a partnership in 10 years' time? Who knows? Um, it's funny, isn't it? He's 11 years old, and that is like ridiculous. But you can get in the first team in six years' time. It's not actually That's that far mad. away. That so so the next manager in Manchester United, whoever that may be, a Pochettino, a Ten Hag, or you know, even Ralph, they would be developing him to be on a path towards the first team. So it's a lot more interesting than it really is, if you know what I mean. Like kind of we're talking about it in a in a kind of a bit of a jovial way. However, it wouldn't be two or three or four years down the line we were talking about the under sixteens, where he quite possibly could be part of that system and could be on the cusp of making his debut for Manchester United's first team. 
You mentioned um, Wayne Rooney. Uh, his new documentary, uh, Rooney, has dropped on Amazon Prime today. Mm-hmm. I actually watched it this morning. Uh, interesting watch. If you haven't caught it already, uh, I would advise watching it. It's a good, uh, it's a good little journey. Uh, amazing career Wayne Rooney had. United's leading goal scorer of all time. Obviously, as well. Um, immediate concerns for United, though. Southampton. We'll do a little brief chat on this, Rob, because by the time this goes out, there's no point talking about it in depth because the game will be hap- game will have happened already. But um, Southampton go and beat Spurs in midweek, and they actually deserved it. So this isn't this is not going to be an easy game. No, it's a tough game. Southampton, good victory for them, or good performance for them at Tottenham Hotspur, um, showing that you know on the road they can do it. Always been a, a really hard-working team. Um, and this is, as I said before, the Red Bull derby. You know, Hassan Hootel versus Ranić. Uh, Hassan Hootel, a disciple of Ranić. Uh, they've known each other for many, many years. They play very similar systems, very similar tactics. Both love counter-pressing. Both love hard work. Both very kind of English coaches from Germany. You know, this is kind of how the German setup has been over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, I, I think as well with with Hassan Hootel, um, you know, he's talked about recently about this is his end game now, the last couple of years of his career. He believes that, that Southampton will be his final club and, you know, he's on his way out. So he'd like to he'd like to kind of make a splash the next two years and then go and retire. So there's a little kind of a, a different narrative here with this, with, with these two men coming together again. It's, it's, Southampton are a good team, but in a good team like Burnley can be a good team, but not always a good team. So if Man United turn up and be the best versions of themselves that they can be, then Man United win this game, create 30 chances in the match. And you know what happened last time when they played, was it 9-0? So, you know, that was a freak result. But even in that game, you could see United weren't, weren't the best ever, but they scored nine goals. So, you know, it will work that day. And everyone's very happy, isn't it, when you win 9-0? Well, United side of it, definitely. So I, I don't know. I think that this is a kind of, again, you have to kind of wait and see kind of contest. But United need to win it. You have to win it. It doesn't matter if you play well or you're brilliant or, or like you're awful. Go and win, get the three points, go home. So that has to be the mantra now for Manchester United over the next few weeks. United play Southampton and Brighton in midweek, I think, uh, at home. Both games at home. But obviously, it does seem like that. We always, I'm sure we'll reference the top four battle in the next few weeks. And United are obviously going for that. Uh, Chelsea, I think, might have been dragged into it as well. Uh, but if teams below them have to take advantage, and it seems like Arsenal the only team from the last uh, couple of days who have taken an advantage there because these top four battles always seem to be crawls to the finish line instead of like, you know, amazing form from like three teams going for one position. It's always about who can be the least bad. <laughs> yeah. Because these the teams have got, got the same kind of issues. Do you know what I mean? They've all, they're all, they all can do it on their day. They've all got players who've got star power can put the ball in the net. You know, I've been really high on Arsenal this year. I think, you know, the way that Arteta set them up, you know, I like the way they've brought through the youth. I think, we look at Smith Rowe and what Saka have done and Martinelli, they've all shown that they're, they're quality Premier League players. They're going to, only going to get better. But it doesn't mean that you're necessarily ready to win every week this year. You know, so that's a kind of a good thing for the likes of Arsenal. Tottenham themselves in the middle of a rebuild. And as you said, other football clubs in and around the, the, the question about whether they can make top four. So Man United have just got to get on with their own business. Get on with it. Go and win football matches. Keep people quiet by winning and, and work through the performances. I get the feeling, and don't want to put my neck on the block, but get the feeling United are going to give someone a thrashing really soon. 
you know, United are creating the chances, are getting in the box. There's going to be a game where it all just clicks and the ball just flies in the net over and over again. And that happens, doesn't it, in football, where you can't score a goal for 10 games, but you're doing the right things. And then suddenly it all works. So hopefully for us, Southampton will be that game, not necessarily will again. be. <laughs> again. But I, I do feel that. I do feel that kind of United are getting to the point where they're playing football in the right the right part of the football pitch. And they weren't doing that under Solskjaer. That was a, bit, a big problem is that there was this big goal between midfield and attack. I do think now they've kind of, Ralph solved some of that and that they're playing on the front foot. The counter press does work, but United get tired because of it. So United need to go and win games in the first 60 or 70 minutes and not rely on Fergie time because I don't think they've got the energy to do it in those kind of final segments of football matches. Yes, indeed. Hopefully another 9-0 to United is coming up and hopefully they just start taking their chances. I'll take 1-0. I'll, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll take I'll take 1-0 and a, and a half-decent performance and I'll leave that stadium quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> a reminder, guys, you can still subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. And you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on our YouTube channel. So you can head over to that channel. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform or something like that. And when you get there, hit the like button. There's a notification bell as well. I'm supposed to say that, aren't I? Um, you know, turn notifications on, all this kind of stuff. Subscribe, join the community and drop us a comment. Uh, you can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at PromisedLandMU on Twitter as well. Get in touch with us. Fingers crossed for United win, but we'll see you soon after that one. I will be back next week on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>